So for today's The Life Cup Hour, I'd like to welcome Mestre Ferradura from Rio de Janeiro, who runs the Instituto Brasileiro de Capoeira Educação, Brazilian Institute of Capoeira Education. So welcome. Thank you very much for um, giving up your time to, to be on the podcast. My pleasure. So let's start at the beginning. I believe you started uh, around the age of 15 with Mestre Moron with, with Capoeira. What got you to start Capoeira? Well, you know, uh, I had a friend many years ago when I was about 12 or 13, and he was a Capoeira practitioner at the time, and he seemed to be really good. So he kept on talking about Capoeira and persuading me to doing it. But at that time, there was like just nowhere really to see Capoeira in the streets. It wasn't like something very well known. And I knew what it was. Obviously, I saw him practicing and he taught me a couple of moves. But after a while, I think after a couple of years, he gave us an address, me and my brother, and we went to, to train. And, and, and for me, it was, uh, remember the first couple of movements that I saw, it was, it was like quite impressive. It was actually Master Camisa in, uh, in his old school. And I even remember the movements that were done. Like one guy was like kicking a martello, the other one who grabbed the leg and then they would turn around. And I, I remember the very technique. And there were some, some women and some kids training together with men. And that was quite impressive to me. But then uh, eventually they closed that place. It was the exact phase when they closed the place. So I think that way when we went to enroll, he wasn't there anymore. Uh, so our friend gave us another address in Copacabana, and that was Meshu Peixin's place, Sanzala. And when I entered the academy, I just like I got very, very impressed. I, I had a, an epiphany at the moment, and, and I really got hooked by what I saw, like all that mixture of different people, different uh, ages, different colors, different social backgrounds. And I was extremely attracted to everything that was there. <clears throat> so I enrolled yeah, at Meshi Peshin's Academy and, and, and started training with Mahon, with, which uh, was his contramaster at, at that time. Amazing. It's interesting you said that Capoeira wasn't so well known back then, uh, which is interesting for me to hear for, from the UK, obviously, my perception of Brazil is through the lens of Capoeira. I mean, is Capoeira better known these days, do you think? Nowadays, like obviously, even back then, everybody knew what Capoeira was. So I don't really remember how, but uh, the first time that I heard that I remember hearing the word Capoeira was in, a, in my school. And it was a fight between two boys, and they were shouting, Karate versus Capoeira, Karate versus Capoeira. And obviously, I already knew what Capoeira was. So even at that time, when I was very young, already knew what it was and at the end it came out that the boy who was fighting was Nestor's son I learned that many many years later because I also had a fight with him <laughs> uh, which which I lost <laughs> and uh, he was uh, like this bigger boy in school and he was always, always getting into fights with Capoeira and it wasn't Itapuan not Itapuan Biramar but his brother his older brother and that's my first memory of the word capoeira. But even back then, I already knew wh where it was. Mm -hmm. So 
Uh, I can't really remember how, but I think it's in, in the collective knowledge what Kapoor is. The issue is that she didn't sit in the streets. It wasn't like, and you didn't have the internet to, to, to research. So it's like, I don't know, maybe like, I don't know, Hare Krishna temple, you know what it is, you know that they exist, but you don't really know what they are. I mean, how, how can I be a Hare Krishna? I don't know. I have no idea if there is a Hare Krishna place close to my house. Uh, so that would be like more or less a style. Well, there is capoeira, but yeah, whatever. And then um, only in, in, in the middle of the 90s, capoeira became really well known. There, there was like a, a wave of, of capoeira in the, in the middle of the 90s, which turned our, our activity really well known. Then you'd start seeing it in the street all the time. There would be many different hodas all around, people teaching in the streets, on the beach, and, and like in parks. And everywhere there were like capoeira magazines in the in the newspaper booths. There would be uh, different kind of TV shows and soft operas which depicted capoeira as well at that time. And for about ten years, from let's say around ninety-five to two thousand five, capoeira was practiced by a lot of people and was sort of mainstream. And then. In the last 20 years, it went down. It went down again. So nowadays, like people know what it is. You have Kapoor in all schools for children. And you have many Kapoor schools, but you hardly see any, any Kapoor class with more than 20 people training at the same time. Whereas in the, in the 90s, in the end of the 90s, you could see like classes of 80 people practicing together. Wow. And I believe you, your first experiences with teaching with Capoeira were actually in the UK. So was it Capoeira that brought you to the UK or did you come to the UK for, for other reasons and then just obviously kept your Capoeira alive whilst you were here? Yeah. Had, well, you did your research, huh? I can see you've been doing your research properly. I actually got, I got an a ticket from an uncle of mine who he gave me a ticket and 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 um and he paid for an exchange program so I could stay for a month in England. But at that time I was already like a drop out from school and I was dedicating my life to capoeira. So I just took all my stuff in secret and all my capoeira gear and and when I arrived in England I I ripped the ticket. I ripped it off. It was just like a um just looking at other capoeira places. In the first month, I was staying in Folkestone and I was coming to London every weekend to meet like friends and friends of friends to whom I had bought presents or, or packages that people asked me to deliver. And then um, I started going to Mastrozado's and to, I went to all around. I went to London School of Capoeira. I went to, there was a guy called Jumolinho. Um, there were like only a few capoeiristas at the time. And, and then I met Simon Fantasma mm. and we started hooking up and, and, and he invited to live with him. Eventually, Master Gato went to England and, and we are all connected, part of the same group at the time. So Gato also encouraged me to start teaching. And then me and Simon, we, we would like organize classes and I'll give, uh, that was like my first capoeira classes. It was uh, in London, but like just like very random. 
and training together. There weren't many people anyway, like in the whole of the UK, there wouldn't be more than 50 capoeiristas at that time, like including the students. That's going from, I don't know, from Leeds to, you know, to Wales even. There, there wouldn't be, I wouldn't say there would be more than 50 people training capoeira regularly, including masters, teachers, and, and, and Brazilians and British alike. It must be the very early days. I think it wouldn't surprise me if there's at least 50 groups in the UK now or more. Um, wow. Just sort of, I think as a, as a rough estimate, it'd be interesting to tally them up. I wonder how many groups we do have. So what led to you then leaving the UK back to Brazil? Um, well, how many groups were you here for? I, I was for a year, but, uh, for like 11 months something first of all it was very very hard economically speaking it was like really really hard being skinned all the time okay. and going through all like the difficulties of being a, a foreigner uh, and, and a south american in in the uk it's it wasn't easy to find a job it could have been different you know capoeira wouldn't be a possibility of making money it wasn't like a feasible path to to make a living I, I couldn't go on the dole. Uh, it was hard even to like to get uh, my visa renewed. Like luckily, I didn't get illegal. There was like a, a really uh, by almost by chance that I didn't get illegal. Uh, there was many mainly because a Capoeira guy from from Gato's group, Little John, he lent me the money so he could like use it and have some money in my my bank account because the home office wasn't so strict as it is today mm. to give uh, visas. So yeah, it, it was very, very hard. I mean, it was a very hard year, very, very, very rough. Like I'm, I'm, I'm really skinny. And when I went back, I was like even skinner. Mm -hmm. uh, eating, eating mostly rice and vegetables for a whole year. And, and then, yeah, my, my grandfather had a cancer and, and then my family started putting some pressure for me to come back because of my, my grandfather. It was already time to renew my ticket again, my, my visa again, and um, they wouldn't give me, I don't think they would give me an extension at this time. So it was like the wiser thing to do, yeah. Mm. And how did those experiences of being skint in the UK influence your capoeira? And because I know that you are very sort of charity orientated, running projects to help get people out of poverty and allowing capoeira to be accessed by um, uh, people who've come out of prison, LGBTQ+, and, and other marginalised groups. Had you always been very mindful of disadvantaged people, or did those experiences help feed into do your capoeira now? Well, you know, when I went to the UK, I was very young. I arrived there at age 16. I turned 17 in the first month when I was there. And I left before becoming 18. So at this age, going through difficult experiences, it, 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 uh, it builds your character. Mm. So yeah, I mean, being, being alone uh, in the UK really helped to, to shape who I became as, as, as a man. It just uh, made me more mature. And I guess, I guess it helps, um, understanding better how it feels to be alone and and you know like um like for example i broke my arm when i was 
you know, into my, my 10th month in the UK, I, I, I broke my arm and I was in hospital for like, you know, for four days. And the people who knew me, they thought that I was at other friends' places. So nobody came to see me. And for four days, I was in hospital alone. And yeah, I mean, it helps you <laughs> understand a little bit of, of colds and loneliness and, and, and yeah, different difficult situations but and i got a lot of help i got a lot of help simon helped me a lot and ozado helped me a lot and a few other friends uh you know like from like uh giving you like let's say a master ozado once i remember him cooking some chicken you know and saying now oh, you can eat as much as you want and i was like oh my god like meat finally Mm-hmm. And uh, and one of his students, Terry, he used to to take me to take me home on his van, and I don't even know if it was on his way or, or he did it just for me to to save a little bit of money from the ticket. And then he would stop. He would always stop by a kebab shop and say, "Oh, I'm hungry. I want to eat some kebab." And and I I think that he stopped at the kebab just for me to have something to eat before going home. So like uh, many different people helped me when. I had nothing to give them. Yeah, it's not like I had I was in some position to give people anything. The only thing that I had was my my capoeira, my like you know like warm young uh, sort of high leveled capoeira player for 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 the place, <clears throat> like uh, for the for the quality of capoeira that existed in the UK at that time with such few people. Even at at age seventeen, I, I was quite high quality because I could throw a couple of kicks and, and do a couple of uh, floreios. So yeah, I guess people enjoyed my company, but mostly they helped me out of, of, of pure compassion. And that's, yeah, I guess it's, it helped building my, my character for the future. And I, since then, you've obviously developed your teaching in uh, a more structured way, studying at university, things like pedagogy and, and, and how to teach, and also a lot of trial and error. What do you think are the sort of the main principles of sort of a good capoeira education in terms of teaching capoeira itself? Well, I think that's main thing when we're talking about capoeira education as, as that uh, is that we have to look at it as a social technology. So what you have, it's a tool for social change. And it responds to a certain need. So people are in need of uh, music. They're in need of connection. They're in need of culture. They're in need of dance. They're in need of relationships. And we, we can respond to, uh, to, uh, to, to all these different needs by offering an artistic approach with this very complete art that is called capoeira. So instead of if you think about normally people teach capoeira for other people to learn capoeira and then they can make a hoda and the final objective is just that people learn capoeira and and keep on transmitting uh, what they they learned and when we're talking about capoeira education it's about developing people's potentials it's about having them feel better when they go out than when they went in it's about creating an safe and healthy environment where people can flourish their potentials can be accepted even if they are not super good physically speaking or musically speaking that they'll be 
welcomed and included. So it's, it's mostly thinking about uh, the processes through which people can, uh, can have the, the, their qualities enhanced. It's about human development through capoeira uh, rather than training an activity to become good at the, the main core components of that activity. That's the, that would be the difference. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And so I know you teach a very wide range of ages of capoeira. You've um, taught toddlers and, and, and the very young. Um, how have you found uh, teaching children capoeira? How does it uh, differ from the adults that you've taught? Yeah, well, started teaching children. That, that's my, my, my main experience was with children way before I started teaching adults. I mean, regular classes of adults, not workshops. Uh, giving workshops is it's something very different from teaching classes to like regular classes five times a week to, to a group of people like I do nowadays. It's different from traveling around the world and giving workshops on music and, and, and uh, art and capoeira techniques and so on, creating a, a super cool one hour experience for people to get like a, a glimpse of your thoughts. That's one thing. Another thing is to actually teach people how to do jinga every single day and then get other people coming and beginners and so on and, and building a, a community and a group. So that for me, it's quite new. I started uh, teaching adults less than, I don't know, less, less than 15 years ago. And I've been teaching children for almost 30 years now. So yeah, uh, children came into my life you know, in a, in a moment where capoeira wasn't so widespread in schools, there were only a few places which actually welcomed capoeira. Nowadays, it's, it's the right opposite. Like, it's almost impossible to find a place, kindergarten, for example, in Rio. It's almost impossible to find one that doesn't offer capoeira. But at the time, they would ask for judo or body, I would, I would call them offering capoeira and they would ask for ballet or judo and so yeah i started teaching at at, at some schools and uh, mostly people who taught in schools they got bigger children children who started at age six up or at the most four up and started teaching mostly younger children children who were three two and one year olds and at the time, I had never heard of anyone who taught one-year-olds. So I had to develop through try and error, mostly, methodology to, to work with them. And as I, I started like, uh, using different techniques and seeing which worked and which didn't, and studying education and psychology and pedagogics and all, all kind of uh, different educational approaches to music, dance, art, theater, drama, acrobatics, uh, I started to see which kinds of techniques work best for each ages and made a sort of um, a diagram of what was universal for all ages, what worked for all ages, which is the core component of, of uh, capoeira in general, for teaching capoeira in general, for even for adults, and no matter what kind of background, no matter if it's a 
yeah, prisoners or homeless people or people in psychiatric wards or um, capoeira professionals, capoeira fighters, mestres. Yeah, there are core, core components which are universal. And, and then you have the specifics of each age and, and learning how to defer the, the, the core components from the specifics took me a few years and, and to build a curriculum for every, every age. And then um, after some eight years studying capoeira in, a, in, a, in an empiric way, I decided to go back to school and, and start studying education in university. And that helped me to come out of university with a structured method methodology, which I called Brincadeira de Angola. It's the, the capoeira education uh, method. And, and yeah, I mean, then uh, I guess that was the... the, the the um, cat's leap, as we call it in Portuguese, pulo do gato. Brilliant. And I think you've got a project, the 99 plus one members, where people can help the Capoeira Education School program that you run. Would you like to maybe talk about that? And I'd invite the listeners to, to contribute. There'll be a link in the episode description. Yeah, that, that's amazing. Thank you very much. It's nowadays what we have here. Uh, it's an extension of the social project. So when I started working with uh, kids in, in the favela and like small children in projects, small children in uh, squats, we have like a squats here in Brazil, which, which are very run down in, in, in very tough areas and uh, public schools, uh, the homeless, uh, and then I started going to get invited to, to teach capoeira to different populations. When, when I was very young, I was already teaching uh, people with disabilities. And I didn't have a clue at that time how to work with them. So it was, again, the same uh, trial and error process to find out which techniques would work best. And finally, it came out that the, the universal principles work for everybody. So that's when I, I realized that they didn't belong just to capoeira, but they are core principles of education in general. You can teach anything through, okay, so which, which principles are those? Active education, so hands-on. People are, are building their own knowledge by the mediation of the teacher, using art, and gamification to arise people's will into, into training. So we would use like music and dancing and all this belongs to every culture. In every culture, you have that. You have a kind of activity where people will be circling each other and they'll be sort of dancing and chanting and competing and cooperating at the same time. So these, these different rituals are universal, they, they are archetypical. So in a way, there is like capoeira in, in like one layer, there is capoeira, but you have like another, another layer, which is a meta capoeira. It's beyond capoeira. So this meta capoeira, it englobes every culture in the world. You'd have like the Sufis in the Arab world, and then you have the, the, uh, the Hasidics in the Jewish world, and then you have the Druids, in Europe and the Vikings with the rituals and, and the Mayas and the Aztecs and uh, Brazilian Aboriginal people and of course all the African cultures that they have this kind of mix between 
dance, fight, culture, religion, uh, music, social tradition, and is is the rain bothering you? Can can you hear it? Or I can move rooms. I There's can't hear. Here. You can't hear it. Okay. And um, so yeah, I mean, there's there's principles that make people. What, what is it that makes people go into into circling, and and you know, putting a fire on, uh, taking some kind of uh, hallucinogenic principle, be it cachaça in Brazil or, or some mushroom somewhere, or like some psilocybin active principles in, in another culture and what, what is it that makes people speak to the spirits and, and sing to their ancestors and it's, it's, a, it's a universal need for, for connection with something bigger with the community around yourself and with the, the highest uh, the highest principles that people can aim for and I believe capoeira is it's just one of these different expressions but it's one that managed to survive through modernity, well, while most cultures allowed or, or made these this, uh, traditions to disappear over time, to get like more blurred or, or to even die. We, we, we have in Capoeira a, an ancestral ritual which is alive and adapted to modern society needs. And then in modern society, you have certain populations which are left out. When I go work with the homeless people, we have people who have their family ties broken and they are into drug use and they have psychiatric problems. And being homeless doesn't help any of that. Usually it just reinforces the cycle of, of, of drug use and, and um, being even more away from from the families and then getting worse mental state uh, and then you come with capoeira and they need to look at each other and to have fun with each other in a healthy way and then sort of uh, simulate a fight and make a circle and laugh together and, and move your body in the street so that's one of the things that i do like i, I only teach in the street i only teach in outdoor spaces and that connects people with the real world, which is something that is, it's, a, it's a stressor. One thing is like when you are inside a closed place, a controlled closed place, and we see that uh, even with people like patient, psychiatric patients in the world that have one behavior, and then when they leave and they start interacting with people in the outside world, they sometimes they end up going back to the psychiatric world and you see the same thing with uh, even with experienced capoeiristas who play very well inside their, their own places, but when they go to play in the street holders, they get very nervous just because it's the street and they have so many different elements there. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, taking capoeira to all these different places and democratizing this knowledge uh, was something that really changed my, my perspective of, of how to work. With capoeira and, and what to expect from it but in the end what, what we do it's mostly something very very urgent we will help to resolve people's basic needs of culture music education art 
sport, movement, connection. At that time, uh, and in my case, we, we even uh, serve food. We serve through 2,500 meals a year for people during our Hoda. We have uh, a Hoda in the street and homeless people come and they can eat and they get clothes and they get toothpastes, toothbrushes, participate in the Hoda as equals and play. But that's all very emergential, as, as we say here. Uh, I don't even know if you can say that in English. Can we? Emergential? Like, like you know, like emergency. It's, it's an emergency. It's, it's something, it's urgent. Yeah. It's very but... urgent. But it's, it, it's not, it's, it's lasting in the sense of the impact. It, it, it has an impact on, on, on every person. And that impact is, is lasting, but mm. it doesn't leave a legacy in the territory. So to leave a legacy, you have, you have to go from the field of, of culture, of democratizing culture, to the field of education. And I built this, this house where I'm living. I built it from scratch. It's in a favela uh, called Babylonia. Mm. Religion here, it's a slum. And I built this house in order for it to be a social project, a Capri school for education school so i implemented a program here for teenagers and they come here to study capoeira at the same time as they're studying how to become capoeira teachers average age 15 years old and they learn here different subjects capoeira related subjects so they learn body skills, corporal skills, they learn how to teach children and how to not only teach children, but to know uh, the rights of children. So we're talking about uh, human rights and the rights of women and the rights of children and, and how you have to teach accordingly. And then they get uh, English classes, digital world, computing skills, sustainability skills, music skills, maths, and everything related with, with what they're going to do in life in order to enhance like different talents that they have and to develop their different potentials and to offer them uh, a path which would otherwise probably be closed. It's all a matter of, of perspective for kids in the favela to see that they can go beyond the parents. Uh, so like... 100% of their parents didn't go to school. Over 50% of them, of the, of the children, don't even know their, their father's name. Uh, they are all you know, from, from the slums. They are mostly girls who have uh, 10 girls and six boys. They, um, most of them don't have a computer at home, even though they could have access to internet on their phone just for basic stuff, TikTok, WhatsApp. Mm and stuff so what we're doing here is like to we give them the opportunity for them to put the effort they need to put to develop their talents that's the idea so if, if the triad is talent effort and opportunity our role is to give them the opportunity their role is to put effort and then their talents will 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 arise and we, every child here gets uh, gets stipend of uh, $50, which is above what they get from the government. So like the government, they, the stipend for, for handouts from the doll here, it's 
you're only eligible if you make less than forty dollars per family member. All these kids are are in the in the social programs, and we give them a stipend of of fifty dollars each month for each kid, so the families can also support the project and the kids don't have to go work. So we have, for example, we have kids here that used to work walking around the favela selling pizzas uh, during the night. And that means that you're walking around guys with guns, machine guns, uh, drug dealers. And like at that age, 15 years of age, you know, you're delivering pizza. Then you see a friend of yours who is making what you're making a month. He's making in a day, you know, just holding a gun. that's not the, the, the way we want these kids to grow up. So we're offering a, a different possibility and we get full support from the parents. The parents are uh, also because they see that we really care about the, their kids. It's not a social project in which they will train some capoeira, but it's a, a project that is changing their lives through capoeira. And then, the, um, yeah, the the... the the campaign is to get a hundred members. We, if we have a hundred members, uh, paying ten dollars a month, so that's like a very small amounts. But if they can support monthly, we will have thousand dollars regularly, and we can count on that money. Like only for the children right now, we spend a thousand dollars a month with their stipends and food, and that would, would be right. Would that will be really helpful. We have already 50 members right now when we're talking and we need another 50. So yeah, if the listeners want to be part, it's like a $10 monthly subscription. And in return, we offer the possibility of people using uh, the project as their ESG, as their environmental, social, and governance project. Uh, so let's say you teach Capoeira and you can put our badge in our in your website saying that you support this project. And every month we would want our members to eventually talk with the children, like a short talk, five minutes talk, send a message in English. So the kids start connecting with people abroad and understanding that they can eventually be in England or be in the US or whatever they want to be. So they, they have the possibilities because they have friends through Capoeira. It sounds amazing. Um, and well done for, for getting that project going and, and the effort you put in to not just bring capoeira to people, but then also using capoeira as a tool to, to improve every facet of their life. It's um, it's amazing what you do. It's why I wanted to invite you onto the podcast and, and hear about it. So the last question I like to ask is, what is capoeira? It's obviously quite a broad question but if you were to answer that question how would you define it what is capoeira i think it's very easy to define capoeira i see it as a, as a very simple mixture of uh, artistic languages so i would say that capoeira is a mixture of dance theater martial art acrobatics and uh, yeah just like different artistic facets of many different arts blended all together, uh, which needs social group to be performed and uh, where everybody exchanges different roles, social roles. So it's like a 
it's represented by a circle of uh, interactions where two people cooperate and compete at the same time to the sound of music which is produced and performed by its own practitioners that's to me what capoeira is you know like uh, very down to earth well thank you very much uh, for coming the life capoeira um for listeners if you would like to get in touch you can reach us at the life capoeira at gmail.com as i said the 99 plus one members link if you want to support Mestre Ferragura's projects is in the episode descriptions. You can also find us on, on Facebook and Instagram. Mestre, are there any closing comments, remarks or things that you'd like to say before we end this podcast? I would say that people, if, if they get inspired by these kind of talks, by the different possibilities which they can have with Capoeira, they should go for it fearlessly. They should just start teaching and start doing good with this amazing tool that we have in order to improve people's lives. It's, uh, it's something that I would love to see people doing despite their languages, despite their backgrounds, um, regardless if they are part of a capoeira group, if they have... Uh, some mastery or if they are in a in a, in brazil or abroad people should just start teaching and seeing the results that capoeira has in other people's lives you know like uh, emancipating themselves from um from beliefs which are, are from limited beliefs you know emancipating their minds takes only a decision it's a it's a matter of perspective okay i trained this thing which is amazing and i want it did a lot of good to me in my life and i will start sharing it with other people that would be my 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 final thought just share whatever you learned share it with other people and hopefully you'll be able to improve people's lives and to get some human development all around the world. Well, it's a great way to finish the episode. Well, thank you very much for your time. And uh, it's been nice to meet you virtually. I hope that I can meet you in real life at some point. And thank you very much to all of our listeners for listening. Until next time. Ciao. Thank you. You have uh, my Instagram. Just people can contact me through that. <laughs>